Welcome to IEQ Radio, the voice of the indoor air quality industry. Yes, the rules have changed. Yes, the rules have changed. Good day wherever you're listening from, and welcome to Indoor Air Quality Radio, IAQ Radio, the voice of the indoor air quality industry. Today's broadcast is episode number 147, and today is Friday, November 20th, 2009. My name is Cliff Slotnick, known as the Z-Man. Radio Joe is working remotely today from Studio C in Indian Lake. Uh, Good afternoon, Joe. Good day, Cliff. Okay. The intrepid environmental Ann Koalecki is at the controls. Hi, Annie. And the wingman Chris Boisel is in the passenger seat looking on. Today's segments include the microband trivia question, an interview with today's guest Paul Snyder on what's new with OSHA, uh, comments by our technical director, Dr. Dieter Weil, and the roundup. Radio Joe and I, along with the wingman's help, have been working on the iqradio.com website each week. Uh, We add a blog to the show. Uh, We hope you look at it. Uh, We've also changed the invitation and news announcement, and we hope that you like the new look and the improved functionality. Uh, Now we'd like to thank our sponsors. Let's thank those sponsors. Indoor Environment Connections, the newspaper for the IEQ industry. Subscriptions and advertising information are available at ieconnections.com. Dryease Products, providing equipment for drying water-damaged homes and buildings. Dryease is first in drying solutions at dri-eaz.com. John Don Products, where restoration and abatement contractors shop at jondon.com. Legends Environmental Insurance Services, the experts insurance for environmental consultants and contractors for over 20 years at legends-enviro.com. Please be sure to thank our sponsors for their support of IEQ Radio when you inquire about their products and services. To contact the show by phone, simply dial 724-444-7444 and enter our show ID, which is 1547. And... Press 1 and join the show. You can also download the show by going to our website, www.iqradio.com, and follow the link that says go to the show, or as many of our listeners do, you can get the show through iTunes. Remember, you can get your IICRC continuing education credits, IAQ Council renewal credits, and now ABIH credits by emailing Radio Joe and requesting a quiz. Radio Joe's email is joe.use at iaqtraining.com. To make suggestions, special requests, or ask technical questions, you can either email Radio Joe or the Z-Man. My email is cliffzlotnick at unsmoke.com. Last but not least, please visit the IAQ Training Institute website for the most current dates for the training you trust at iaqtraining.com. Win a cool prize by outcompeting fellow IAQ radio listeners and being the first person to correctly answer the microband trivia question each week. Submitting your answer is easy. Simply email it to cliffz at prorestoreproducts.com. Regrettably, there were no correct answers to last week's trivia question. Remember, these trivia questions remain in play until someone answers them. Now for the trivia question for Friday, November twentieth, two 2009. We want to know what the following passage is known as, quote, each employer shall furnish to each of his employees employment and a place of employment which are free from recognized hazards that are causing or are likely to cause death or serious physical harm to his employees, unquote. All right. 
This afternoon's guest is Paul J. Snyder, CSPCIH. Paul has over 37 years of experience in safety, safety management, and industrial hygiene. He spent four years doing industrial hygiene and environmental work for the U.S. Navy, then 32 years were in various EHS positions with the Roman Haas Company. His last seven years, he was the Corporate Safety and Industrial Hygiene Director. He retired from Roman Haas in late 2006. Currently, he provides safety management, compliance auditing, training, and voluntary protection program facilitation to top initiatives clients. He is an OSHA Special Government employee for VPP. Paul is a member of the ASSE and the AIH where he served as Philadelphia chapter director for three years and chapter president. He was a founding member of the VPPA Region 3 chapter where he served nine years on the board of directors. Paul is a BS from the University of Kentucky and an MS in environmental science from the Tulane School of Public Health. Annie, his intro music, please. I've seen scaffold boards fall from up above Careless workers who didn't wear gloves And I think to myself, what an unsafe world Okay, Paul, good afternoon. Thanks for joining us on IAQ Radio. Hi, Cliff. Okay. All right, Paul, our first question is, the Obama administration's position on national health care and global warming are pretty clear. Will the administration change OSHA, and if so, can you opine on how they'll do it? Listen first, Cliff. Um, how do I win the trivia prize? I know the answer. Okay, well that's good. Well, uh, just tell me what it is, and we'll send we'll send it to you. How's that? <laughs> no, I'll come back to that. Okay. Um, but uh, listen. So, uh, so the OSHA administration uh, at the uh, American Society of Safety Engineers conference this summer, uh, the uh, new uh, Department of Labor director Hilda Solis uh, said, and I quote: "She said OSHA is back in the enforcement business." We are serious, very serious. Uh, so, uh, you know, the, we got a new sheriff in town, and her uh, temper right now, she has an assistant uh, uh, director of labor uh, who's heading OSHA, Jordan Barrett, and um, who comes from a, a, um, a labor background. He was a safety IH person for a, union, for a major union, but um, he is, uh, he, he supports her, and you get the same, the same story from him. And so I think we, we're going to see higher penalties. We've already seen higher penalties. Uh, OSHA is going to have an increased budget. Uh, and uh, next year they'll be hiring uh, uh, several hundred more enforcement officers with their, with their large budget in order to do more enforcement. So uh, the other thing that's, uh, I guess, unfortunate for me uh, is OSHA is going to de-emphasize the voluntary programs, the partnerships and alliances. Um, and uh, that, which is too bad, but and so they're already reducing resources for those programs. Uh, I know in my region three here um, in Philadelphia, when we used to have uh, four um, managers, four uh, OSHA people that were dealing with the voluntary protection program, we're down to two, and they're not replacing the uh, missing uh, uh, people. Well, that, I, so, I uh, go ahead. Okay, I mean, shall I continue? Oh yeah, please. Uh, now, now recently. Recently, uh, Dr. Michaels, uh, not uh, Hilda Solis, has nominated a Dr. David Michaels to be the uh, permanent head of OSHA, and um, he, that that nomination is right now in the Senate committee. And uh, he's a professor from George Washington University School of Public Health, and um, he's uh, recently been quoted to say that he's going to uh, push for um, a regulation that requires a uh, employer plan to. Um, develop hazard identification and abatement plans, uh, or even better, he'd like to see a required safety health management plan. There's a couple of states uh, that require that already, and uh, he, uh, he likes that idea. Um, so, uh, and he's also authored a, authored a book, uh, just very recently, and the book is titled Doubt is Their, is Their Product, How Industries Assault on Science Threatens Your Health. So, uh, uh, it's, uh, I mean, it, He's a science person, and that's that's a good thing. Um, and uh, so we'll have to see what happens. Joe, 
So, so we can yeah. see uh, bigger, bigger, larger penalties, more enforcement going on. Paul, were there any specific areas of uh, uh, emphasis that you're aware of upcoming? For regulations? Yes. Yeah, you know, there's. Well, I know that the, the, uh, the Jordan Barab was saying that uh, you know that we've had a lack of uh, regulations being uh, uh, put forth uh, during the Bush administration, and uh, that it's an embarrassment. Uh, so, uh, you know, some of those uh, regulations that have been sitting out there uh, uh, for a while are uh, probably going to get some more attention. Uh, the uh, you know, popcorn lung disease, um, which is from diacetyl flavoring. Um, they're looking for a standard on that. Uh, cranes and derricks, confined spaces in construction. Uh, and then expect very soon to see uh, uh, the hazard communication standard to, to, to change to uh, become aligned with the UN Global Harmonized System for Classification and Labeling of Chemicals. Uh, we should expect that pretty soon. There's already activity going on that with that. Um, I think we'll see at some point, um, you know, some uh, some more uh, more attention to ergonomics, um, and um, uh, you'll see an updated walking and working surfaces and personal fall protection standard. So uh, they have they have plans. Uh, they want to they want to get moving on on these standards that have been hanging out there. Is there a minimum number of employees that uh, a firm must have, or a minimum annual sales volume? that qualifies uh, as the criteria to which OSHA regulations apply? That's a nice short question. Uh, sales volume has nothing to do with it, but the answer is 10 employees. Okay. Joe? So if you have, uh, I've got a water damage company out there that has less than 10 employees. They don't have, they don't have to worry about OSHA compliance? They actually don't. And is that the same with uh, state plans as well? Do you know, or any of the state uh, plans you know, more stringent? I, I don't, state the state plans can differ. Now they, they have to be at least as stringent as federal. So, and I, I honestly can't tell you what the answer is. So whether or not there are state plans out there with a different regulation. So that's something to uh, if you live in a state that's um, that's a state plan uh, OSHA state, it's a good idea to check with um, the regional office. Well. Paul, if, if I'm a sole practitioner working by myself or else I've got a firm that employs under 10 people, um, can I be drawn into an OSA enforcement action through my work on the property of others who may have 50 or more employees? Uh, if, well, if you were working by yourself and you're a contractor um, at, at, a, um, at a site, uh, uh, <clears throat> obviously if you're a you work alone, you can't be cited by OSHA. Um, but let's say you have um, you have larger, you have more than ten people, and you're at a, at a work site, and your employees are being exposed to a hazard that uh, is uh, created by another um, another employer, maybe the host company or another contractor. Um, so in this case, the basic rule is that if your employees are exposed, you can be cited even if someone else creates the hazard. Um, obviously, if you're creating the hazard to your employees, you can be cited. Mm -hmm. But let's say another contract is creating the hazard and your people are exposed. Um, you're going to be cited un unless um, you can pass what OSHA calls the legitimate defense test. And that is means that you didn't create the hazard. Uh, your company didn't have the ability to correct the hazard. Um, you made a reasonable effort to persuade the other employer to correct the hazard, and you've instructed your employees how to avoid uh, or minimize their risk. If you've done that, then then even though your employees are exposed, you will not be cited. Sounds worth repeating. Would you repeat it one more time? Okay. So if your your employees are exposed to a hazard um, at at a work site, that the hazard is created by another company. Um, you need to, in order for you not to be cited, and you're coming out to be cited, you need to, um, OSHA calls it, the, you need to pass the legitimate defense test. And that means that you didn't create the hazard. Two, you didn't have the ability to correct the hazard. Three, you made a reasonable effort to persuade the other company 
or employer to correct the hazard. And four, you've instructed your employees how to avoid or minimize their risk without walking off the job. Okay. Paul, let me uh, go back for one second to the number of employees because we have a lot of franchises in the uh, disaster restoration world in particular. If the particular franchise has six people or eight people, um, the the location, let's say, uh, in Arlington, for instance, um, they only have six or eight people, would they then not fall under OSHA? Or because they're part of a larger franchise, would they have to comply with all the OSHA regulations? Uh, now, there's, a, you know, uh, if the, I, I don't want to, I don't know. I don't know what the answer is. My, my guess is if they're a part of a larger, larger franchise, they might be, um, uh, that might be, um, uh, they might be covered by, uh, by OSHA, but I, I'd like to get back to you about that. I don't know. That, that's, uh, that's a good question. Okay. Let's do that. We'll, we'll talk in the future. Paul, if, you know, if I did have 10 or more employees and, you know, for some reason, uh, OSHA, well, what could trigger an OSHA inspection? Okay. Um, OSHA doesn't go out and do random inspections. There are no warrantless inspections. If you're just down the street and, and OSHA's up, you know, on the same street with you, they don't just walk out and say, let's go inspect, you know, come the X today. Um, there's always a reason for the inspection. And reports of imminent danger and, a, and report of a fatality uh, are their top priority. And remember, if you have a fatality, a worker fatality, you must report it to OSHA by telephone within eight hours. The second priority that OSHA has is the report of three or more uh, employees being hospitalized um, from the same incident. And the next priority for OSHA are employee complaints. Um, and uh, and that's, that's the most common one, is to, is to have an employee call OSHA and complain about something, and then OSHA does follow up to those. Um, the next priority for them are um, is if your company is on a, a specific targeted inspection list, and uh, and then the next the next things could cause an inspection would be some kind of major safety event such as a major fire, um, or even a report or, uh, or call from another agency like the EPA. Um, they, by the way, they do talk, mm-hmm. um, and then a community responder such as fire departments. Uh, Will, or ambulance uh, squads will call OSHA. Uh, so that, that's not typically uncommon. Um, but again, the imminent danger reports and then or fatality are um, top priority. I've got so, f- uh, by the way, I, and there were these, uh, th- there's this year we have targeted inspections, okay? And so OSHA's, uh, OSHA's published what those are. And uh, shall I go through those? Oh, sure, please. Okay. So the, the, um, the targeted industries this year are, uh, number one, are manufacturing sites with a, uh, a DART rate at or above 8. Okay, now the DART rate uh, is uh, the, uh, are, are injuries that are days away or injuries that are restricted or transferred. And so if your rate is above 8, and that's a calculation, uh, it's about, that's basically what it is, is uh, eight employees per hundred per year. Eight percent of your employees have a, an injury of that nature, uh, that type. And um, uh, the next category are non-manufacturing locations uh, with a dark rate above 15, 15 or higher. Uh, another targeted industry are nursing homes and, and personal care facilities with a dark rate over 17. That number, that really blows my mind, uh, injuries uh, at that rate above 17. But maybe that's uh, maybe that's the case. that's typical of those um, industries. Uh, the next group uh, on on OSHA's target list are chemical plants and refineries covered under the process safety management regulation, and especially uh, in regions one, seven, and ten. Um, another group that's targeted this year are construction uh, sites in Texas. Uh, apparently, Texas has the highest injury and fatality rates in construction. Uh, States. Um, another category being targeted are are uh, industries with that are that are reporting a low injury rate that 
that are known to be in a high-rate industry. So, and this is part of uh, OSHA's record-keeping emphasis program. Uh, they, they're suspicious of, uh, uh, I guess, uh, industries that typically have high rates and, 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 and individual sites reporting a very good or low rate of injury. And last is uh, there was a, a data initiative survey sent out in 2008 by OSHA, that, and they, they wanted, uh, un unlike the, the, the Bureau of Labor Statistics, um, which is a very random thing, a lot of companies were asked to report their injury rates um, for, to OSHA directly in 2008. And if you didn't respond, you're on their list this year. Um, so uh, that's, the, that's the targeted industries uh, this year. Paul, if I've got an ex-employee uh, you know, who we've either let go or who um, you know resigns uh, himself, and he wants to get back at my company, uh, can he uh, call OSHA, and will OSHA listen to him? He can call OSHA. OSHA will listen to him, and if they come out, they won't. They they do not based on if they come out based on a complaint. They will not um, tell you the person's name. So you'll never know. Even if it's an ex-employee that doesn't work here anymore, they, you know, they they don't. Uh, they may not, may not even probe that far. He, the, simple, okay. the employee could even say, "I worked for, uh, you know, um, uh, the Roman Haas company," and uh, um, they won't go any further with that. They won't. They'll just they'll take it that uh, at its word. Okay. Well, in the event of an inspection, just, just, just a phone call will do it. Okay. Just a phone call will do it. You know, in the event of an OSHA inspection, uh, what will an OSHA inspector not tell me that I should really know? <laughs> uh, there's, well, the, the the only thing there's a there's a, a interesting new um, uh, directive to the OSHA inspectors, the enforcement officers, that they they've been told they can they should wait up to 45 minutes when they go to a facility. Uh, of course, they they want to have a, they have to they have to have an opening conference with a, um, a a principal of the business, and they've been told to wait up to 45 minutes for the manager um, uh, to meet them, and uh, and so you know that you know actually if you know that you know you can have you can have time to uh, you know maybe call your uh, your attorney at, at the home office or uh, wherever. Or, or call your your safety representative if he's not at the facility. Call him back in. Um, so, uh, but eventually, they will insist on meeting the highest level person at the site so they can begin their conference. They're not going to go away. But you do. They will wait 45 minutes before they they insist on seeing somebody. I mean, and if we're at a construction site, Paul, do do we have to allow OSHA on the site, and do we have to escort them around the site? The, um, well, you have to allow them on the site, um, but you can you can deny entry and insist on a search warrant, um, and they will leave, and and they will go get a search warrant, and um, they, they my 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 gut instinct is that they'll come back a little annoyed. <laughs> okay. Uh, but, but that is that is a right. There is a right to ask for a, um, a search warrant, and uh, they'll they'll go get it and come back. So uh, I don't recommend getting a search warrant. And who should escort them around the site, or should anyone? Well, don't forget, when, when they show up at your door, you want to make sure, um, uh, ask for the credentials. They should have an official identification uh, for, for OSHA. And uh, like a business card is not identification. They've got to show you an official uh, badge with an OSHA logo or Department of Labor logo. Um, and uh, <clears throat> so escort, they're, gonna, they're going to want... Uh, and ask after ask for an escort. First, they're going to ask for an escort from your hourly group. If you're unionized, they'll ask for a, a union representative. Uh, if you're not, they'll perhaps ask the safety committee to choose somebody. They don't want the employer to choose the hourly escort. So they're going to ask for an hourly escort. Uh, the you, the employer, should always have somebody escort them that is has been taught or trained uh, to deal uh, with uh, an OSHA inspection. And uh, they should be uh, they should be equipped with uh, you know a camera and a notepad. This might be your safety manager uh, or safety manager and all of his staff if you've got more than one person. Uh, but somebody uh, uh, 
authority should always go with the uh, with the OSHA person, and uh, uh, they should be taught, you know, to take notes with whatever whatever the inspector looks at and talks about, asks about. If he takes a picture of something, you should take a picture of that that item. And uh, so I wouldn't expect the, the hourly escort to do these same things. Uh, however, you're your trained escort, and you might want to have a couple of people that you can rely on to do that. Um, uh, to to uh, should do that should should be with the inspector. Now, you know, I, I heard um, uh, heard OSHA people tell me, oh, you know, I was walking around with somebody, and they got they got a phone call, they had to take off, and they would say, oh, go ahead and continue. OSHA will they love to be turned loose alone in your facility, so don't let that happen. You know, you had mentioned earlier about calling an attorney. Uh, would you suggest calling an attorney? And, uh, you know, I've got a general business attorney. What does he know about OSHA? Yeah, but they, they wouldn't know anything about it. But uh, if you think you're, uh, your industry is uh, targeted this year or, or any time, uh, you might want to have uh, a, an attorney that does know uh, Department of Labor law mm-hmm. and, uh, and give them a call if OSHA shows up. And um, they they can't do anything, you know. But but it might be you might want to have them on call so that if OSHA has a particularly sticky question, you can say, well, listen, I I got to talk to my lawyer about that one," and you can make a phone call to your lawyer and, and know he's on hand. Um, so I, I know when I worked for Roman Haas, that were that was that was uh, that that was our instruction. If OSHA shows up, you called the Home Office Legal Department, and there were. Uh, a couple of lawyers that knew environmental and, and labor and, and OSHA law. Mm-hmm. What sorts of records and documents is OSHA entitled uh, to review during the inspection? Um, the uh, the most uh, the, the unanimously, uh, they always look look at your OSHA record keeping for injuries and illnesses. That is the form three hundred log and the supplemental forms for each injury. Uh, the OSHA Form 301 or whatever equivalent form you're using, um, they will ask for that. And it used to be, until this year, that they would always look at those first before they went out in your facility. Um, now they've been instructed not to wait for those records, to go ahead and begin their walk-around inspection and, and look at that those documents later. Um, and uh, so they'll look at those. And what, what might... Um, they do that because they want to, you know, make, first of all, they're looking, they're inspecting your records and seeing how uh, that you're doing it properly. Um, and uh, the other thing that it might trigger is, is additional uh, inspection time or probing if they suspect your, if they see that your injury rates are uh, uh, are, are not good. Um, they'll, they could, yeah, if they would want to, they might want to stay. So, um, and remember, you have to have five years of those logs on file. And it's a good idea to have them nicely organized, you know, um, and readily at hand. They can, they could ask also to see some basic OSHA required documents that you must keep. For example, you must have an emergency action plan. Um, you probably have to have a hazard communication plan. And if you use things, uh, if you have respirators, um, um, they might ask for your respirator program, the document written respirator program. Um, lockout tagout is a major area that's being uh, cited and uh, most uh, companies must have a lockout tagout written program and so they might ask to see that so anything that OSHA the OSHA regulations require you to keep a document for whether it's training records um, injury records or uh, procedural records um, you need to have they could ask to see okay well Paul we're gonna break right now it's 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 time for uh, halftime And uh, what we'd like to do is uh, thank our sponsors. Let's uh, thank those sponsors real quick. We're delighted to have as our first association sponsor, the Indoor Air Quality Association, a nonprofit multidisciplinary group dedicated to promoting the exchange of indoor environmental information through education and research. 
Visit them at IAQA.org. Now thanks to our advertisers. Gray Wolf Sensing Solutions, who use advanced sensor software technology and embedded computers to provide superior environmental test instrumentation. Visit them at wolfsense.com. Pro Restore for cleaning, odor removal, and antimicrobial products and equipment remediators trust and depend on. Visit them at prorestoreproducts.com. And, of course, our primary sponsors, Indoor Environment Connections, the newspaper for the IAQ industry, subscriptions, and advertising information available at ieconnections.com. Dry's products providing equipment for drying water-damaged homes and buildings. Dry's is first in drying solutions. Learn about them at dri-eaz.com. And John Don Products, where restoration and abatement contractors shop at jondon.com. Legends Environmental Insurance Services, the experts in insurance for environmental consultants and contractors for over 20 years. Learn more at legends-enviro.com. Uh, let's go to uh, our technical director, Dr. Dieter, for uh, comments. Well, I still like that Beethoven stuff. <laughs> <laughs> Which, by the way, after this introduction of that music, Mr. Beethoven wrote the longest uh, timpani solo ever in any um, in any uh, concert. But anyway, that is the longest one, something like 250 uh, bars. But anyway, uh, it's 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 kind of interesting to to listen how far we have come. And uh, Paul was around when neither one of us had gray hair <laughs> a long time ago. And when the original uh, your Occupational Safety and Health Act of 1970 was passed, I was at the original hearings in Washington, and I was surprised, uh, you know, that lawyers could argue for a day and a half whether a sentence should be separated by or, or, or a thought should be separated by a colon or a semicolon. But it took a long time to get that one through. And I, I, the interesting thing was, it was signed by President Nixon reluctantly. All the big boys, I mean, all the, and I don't want to name any, but all the big boys who said, this is ridiculous. We don't want these guys around. We don't want to have inspectors. And we do a great job, which we didn't do. And I think we have come a long way. I have been you know, watching that now for basically 40 years. And I'm still in the middle of it, just like Paul is. And I have clients, he has clients who once in a while have problems. And, uh, yeah, we take care of it. But I think overall, even though it, quote, costs money, I think we are saving money. It's almost like, think about a house. If yeah, you can say, I don't do any maintenance, and I don't really want to spend the money on maintenance. Well, sooner or later, you're going to got to run into a problem where you need a new roof or a new basement or what have you. So I think, uh, by and large, industry has learned that not only due to the OSHA regulations as such, but by taking care of certain problems, reducing um, uh, injuries and loss of time of injuries of a, of a trained guy whom you have to replace with somebody who doesn't know what he's doing. I think they have learned that putting a little bit of money in the front end will indeed uh, save the money uh, uh, later on. And particularly today with your know, workers' comp and workers' compensation and the lawsuits that are, you know, I'm involved in those yeah, almost on a daily basis. Um, you will find out that if you have the records of taking care of your people and can show them that in the long run you will not lose money, but you will make money, or don't lose money, let's put it that way. It's a fair comment. We actually have a text question, and uh, it's a toss-up. I don't know, Dieter, either for you or for Paul. Uh, one of the uh, listeners asked us to explain what is lockout, tagout. Paul? Well, Paul, can you go yeah. ahead? I can go. Well, I, I can do it. No problem. Um, yeah. th there's a regulation uh, requiring um, control of energy sources. That is, when someone is 
an employee is going to work on a machine, a piece of equipment, um, you know, a conveyor belt, a uh, boiler, there are sources of energy present, um, such as uh, it could be a gas uh, hazard, it could be a physical hazard, uh, moving parts. Um, you must disable the energy, and the employee um, must apply a, his a lock, a padlock, basically, uh, to the uh, lockout device. And that might be a breaker switch or a, an on-off switch, but he must lock it and um, lock and tag it. And uh, that is that. This is just a simple part of that's the regulation, basically. And there's a lot more to it. You've got to have a written procedure, um, and uh, but. That is, um, that's, that's the summary of it. Okay, good. So that, so that nobody can accidentally, it cannot be accidentally energized and, uh, and injure the, pe the person working on the machinery or the equipment. I guess so that's a big one for our um, HVAC cleaning and restoration people. They've got, you know, some real significant um, issues mm -hmm. to deal with on lockout, tagout. And, sure. Uh, so, so do some others. You know, anytime you've got a water damaged building and you've got a uh, six foot of water in a basement well you're gonna have to shut some electric out and you better you might want to tag it out as well so right the um, yeah electrical of course is a major energy source uh, to be locked out um, and if you're uh, yeah, you're at your work facility at a manufacturing facility or any kind of a, a, a work site if the if the um, piece of equipment has more than one source of energy um, you must have a written lockout procedure, in other words, so that the employee that's going to work on it can actually go and read it and say, okay, I've got to do X, Y, and Z to lock this, this piece of equipment out so that it can't be energized. Okay. Well, we got to thank you from Stan and Dubois. Uh, well, thanks for listening, Stan. Um, well, when, can, I, can I ask one for both guys? And sure. Maybe one of them can help me with this. Sure. Um, I, I can't help but go back to this less than 10 employees. Um, you know, you got less than 10 employees, you're not covered by OSHA, but I assume that doesn't mean uh, you, you don't have some kind of liability with respect to legal liability, and that maybe you should still follow these OSHA regulations. Would either of you care to comment on that? Well, I, yeah, I think I, if I had less than 10 employees uh, for the sake of my personal liability, company liability, I would, I would follow good basic safety uh, practices. I don't have, you don't have to keep all the records that OSHA might require you to keep, but you ought to be familiar with good safety practices that, that OSHA has in their regulations. Great. Thank you. Okay. Um, let's see. Does OSHA do any environmental monitoring when they come out, Paul? Do they have, like, sampling devices and they're testing for gases and doing air sampling and, and stuff like that? Does the typical inspector do that? Uh, well, OSHA certainly can do that. Um, typically, when an OSHA enforcement officer shows up, it's not going to be an industrial hygienist, uh, an enforcement officer. He may have some basic, if he has a reason to bring some uh, monitoring equipment, it might be very basic, uh, you know, uh, a, uh, uh, a meter such as for carbon monoxide or flammable gas, a noise meter, that kind of thing. Uh, and so, uh, but if he determines in his during his walk around inspection that there's a need to do further monitoring of the environment, um, he will um, have an industrial hygienist from OSHA come back out. Maybe the next day, it may take several days or a week before you can he can make the time to have him there. But uh, so, but they do so they do have qualified, certified industrial hygienists that can do monitoring. Um, they have a laboratory in Utah. Salt Lake City, uh, where they send their send their samples. So, uh, yes, they do. They can. Can you give me any advice on this? If if I am the owner of a business or manager of a business, and we're involved with an OSHA inspection, and he asks me a question that I'm uncomfortable with or that I find too challenging, uh, can I be evasive in my answer? Uh, can I take the Fifth Amendment? Can I say no comment? You know, a any advice for that situation? Well, the Fifth Amendment doesn't apply here. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> don't, don't ever say that. Okay. Um, um, but, 
and you shouldn't be evasive either. And and certainly you can't lie. You can get in uh, you know a, a lot of deep trouble for uh, falsifying records and lying to the OSHA inspector. And, and and managers and supervisors have gotten into serious trouble by by lying. Uh, but uh, you don't. You do need to answer. You don't have to have an immediate answer. You can set, tell them, I'm not sure. I'll get back to you. Uh, you know, um, uh, and uh, but you do have to eventually answer. But so you can say, uh, I'm not sure. I'll get back to you. And th this would give you the time to go check, call that lawyer, talk to the site manager, uh, and uh, decide on uh, how you should uh, phrase your answer, but uh, without being evasive. And uh, you never want to admit to noncompliance uh, and, uh, in, in your discussion with the OSHA person. Uh, another example is uh, typically in the closing conference after the inspection, the inspector, he may ask for you to tell him when, when you can correct the violations. Okay? So here and now, number one, you're already admitting to the violation. Uh, if, unless, you, unless you agree and you, want to, and you agree you should, you should correct it. But you don't have to answer that question. Um, you can say you're not sure or even say no comment. Um, so, um, again, but, again, don't lie. Don't take the Fifth Amendment. Okay. Joe? Paul, yeah, Paul does uh, an OSHA inspection always end up with some type of fine, or what percentage of times do I have some type of fine? I, they, well, no, there, there's not always a fine. Um, and I don't know the percentage. Uh I, I, I'm talking to uh, an OSHA person recently, she said most of their, their inspections end up with a citation of some kind. You know, you just, I guess, you just can't be 100% perfect. And so you get an OSHA inspector that knows every regulation and rule in their book, uh, and they get out in your facility, they're going to they're gonna probably see something and give you a citation, even though it may be um, a de minimis or not serious. So... Uh, and then some citations don't have a fine. I see. Well, that kind of leads me to another question. So if they come in, let's say um, we're on a big uh, disaster restoration site and they're, they're cleaning up an area, and they come in about a specific complaint. Um, yep. Somebody mm -hmm. complains about something specific. And do they have the right to then go around and look for other violations, or is it just a matter of them seeing these other violations during their investigation of that specific complaint? Typically, if there's a complaint, they'll want you to take them to the site of the complaint, to the area where the complaint is focused. Um, and uh, they they may just, you know, have, um, and, and they'll tell you that in the open, open conference, the scope of the uh, inspection whether they want to look at the complaint only and then go away, or, uh, or, or they're going to look at the complaint and they also want to review your whole facility. Um, and they'll, and they'll, if they want to do that, they'll have some reason for wanting to do that. Um, and it may just be your, maybe the, uh, the records, your, your rate of injury rate. So uh, again, if, you, if he says, I want the, the inspector, he or she wants to go to the site uh, of the, it may be the machine shop where the complaint came from. You want to take him there, but if you have a large facility, um, you know, you want to pick a route that doesn't expose him to the whole plant, the whole facility, um, if you can, if you can. Now, the OSHA, uh, you know, if they catch on to that, they'll say, no, I want to walk through the, you know, the major site, and I want to walk through everything, and then you can't, you have to do that, and you have to cooperate. But if you can, you want to minimizes exposure to the rest of the facility and just take him to the location that he's mentioned. You know, what happens if we have some very unique intellectual property, you know, manufacturing process of how we do something, you know, it's really, really top secret, really valuable, uh, you know, to our company, uh, and we just don't want, you know, that information made public. Is there anything we can do to, you know, protect that information, you know, during the inspection or just, you know, it's okay if, they, if, if these photos are not going to be shown to anybody, but, you know, we don't want them on the internet. You know, our competitors would really like to know how we process this or, or make a product or, or something like that. Well, you can protect your, your intellectual property. Um, and, and obviously, if they take photos uh, of a piece of equipment, for example, that uh, is intellectual property or uh, 
it doesn't want these photos don't wind up on the um, uh, on the uh, the internet by the way okay. and they don't end up in the in the public citation um, so that by the way your citation when it's final uh, would be available uh, you know uh, through OSHA and uh, but uh, <clears throat> uh, yes you can uh, this is a good time to call your lawyer okay about protecting uh, intellectual property and uh, but but you can and typically, you know, their OSHA is focused on the violation, okay, and uh, and so um, you can't you can't uh, hide behind intellectual property if um, you know that that's deeply involved in the uh, in whatever harmed an employee, for example. Well, Again, we, I, I would call your lawyer on that one. Okay. We we've got a text question from a listener. I don't know if this is your area of expertise or not, but we'll give it a shot. It is, um, what is the minimum requirement for, I guess, asbestos training uh, for people? A lot of our people do water damage restoration, Paul. They go in and they you know, clean up after disaster. What would the minimum asbestos training requirement be for those folks, if you're aware of that? I am not aware of that. I know uh, people that are doing asbestos um, abatement removal, uh, there is a, a required training program. Um, I don't know what the minimum is. I'm not, I haven't done that kind of work. Okay. I would say it's probably this two-hour awareness they're asking about, but that would be uh, something we can bring back with Dr. Dieter in a little bit as well. Yeah, um, let's say that, you know, we've gotten this citation. Can you explain uh, how this hearing process goes? I understand you can actually have a hearing with OSHA. Uh, can you, you know, discuss that? And, you know, if, if I do have a hearing who is the hearing in front of? Is it a judge? Uh, you know, should I take an attorney? Can I represent myself or hire someone like you? I mean, would you represent me? Would be willing to do that for a fee? Uh, how does that work? Yeah, sure. Um, uh, so immediately after the you know the uh, inspector is done, he's done with his inspection. Before he leaves your facility, he does he has a closing conference um, where he discusses what he believes are possible violations and citations. Not penalties, just what he, uh, the things he saw, the things you're doing that he believes are, are citable. Um, he's got to take that back to review with the area, OSHA area director. And, uh, and so uh, following that, the, the, uh, with the director's input, they decide on citations and penalties. Uh, you'll get a... Uh, the citation will come in certified mail. It may take several weeks to a month or more before you, you get it. Uh, um, you'll get it. Then at, immediately you're required to post a copy of the citation, um, either at the location where the um, violation was uh, cited or, or put it where your people will see it, uh, lunchroom, break area. Um, uh, but it's got to be posted for three days, work days, and, uh, or or until the violation is abated, whichever is longer. Saturdays and Sundays don't count, by the way. Um, and so, uh, so if you agree with the citation, okay, and you just want to want it to go away, um, it's not uh, going to cost you a lot of money, whatever. Um, you write a letter saying you agree with it. You put a check in there. Show them what you've done or describe what you've done. Take a picture of what you've done to correct the violation. Um, pay the fine, send it off within 15 days to the uh, uh, the area office in OSHA. Now the next the next step that is um, easier on everybody is to ask for an informal conference with the area OSHA area director within 15 days. You've got to do that. You've got to ask for that within 15 days. Now here at this meeting, you can bring um, a third-party safety person. You can you can you can bring lawyer if you want um, and uh, but you meet with the area director um, he'll typically have his inspector there that did the, did the work if he knows you're bringing a lawyer he's going to have a Department of Labor lawyer there okay and um, but at this meeting you may negotiate a lower penalty you can negotiate um, the level of the citation from uh, willful to serious for example lower no, lower the level of the citation um, you can negotiate the uh, abatement timing, the abatement solution, for example, um, or you may 
make a particular citation go away. It's possible. The area director, uh, he's, um, they, they have this feature because they want the area director to enter into settlement agreements to avoid any prolonged legal disputes. And uh, so they give him this authority. And uh, that's usually, uh, uh, I think every, everybody probably does this. Uh, I know we all, when at Roman Hospital and I, we had citations, we always did an informal conference with the area director. We didn't bring our lawyers. I actually think that's probably a little more aggressive than you need to be. You know, I think the manager, site manager, the um, safety manager, if you have one, uh, they'll probably, if you're unionized, they'll ask for a union representative to, to be there with you. Uh, and uh, But that's always a good solution. The next step, uh, if you're not going to do an informal conference and settle, and settle the, the, the whole issue, is to contest the citation. Um, and again, you have 15 days to do that. Um, you write a letter to OSHA, um, and um, you know right then when you when you contest the citation, uh, you've now uh, uh, entered into another 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 uh, world here. Um, and they they refer that your case now goes to uh, the Occupational Safety and Health Review Commission, which is independent of OSHA, and um, administrative law judge. Is, is going to make a decision. Um, now here, you now, you now you need to have a lawyer represent you, and uh, it may take quite a while for this whole thing to resolve. Uh, in that case, uh, OSHA has on their website a document that uh, you should get hold of, uh, and it's uh, how to con it's simply how to contest a citation, and uh, you should download that and uh, make sure you want to proceed with that. But that's the procedure that they described in that document. Is um, is there a multiplier? You know, let's you know, Roman Haas, let's say, has five thousand employees or ten thousand employees, and the company that I work for has two hundred and fifty employees. And would they be fined the same amount for the same violation, or do they say, you know, Roman Haas is a public company, uh, you know, and and charge them a lot more for it? How does that work? They, the OSHA folks, tell me that that the size of the company. Um, it does enter into the uh, penalty, the amount of the penalty. Uh, also, your reputation with OSHA and previous history, for example, and whether or not you've got a decent safety program management, safety management program in place. Um, so there, there is, those are, are considered in the size of the penalty. Um, but an important uh, a new factor is that when they issue a citation now, they also multiply it by the number of employees that are exposed to that hazard. So if, if you have a, um, a serious hazard uh, that you're cited for and it is um, uh, exposing, and it's the fine for a serious hazard of $7,000, um, which is not much, and but they multiply by the number of empl employees exposed. So if you've got you know 10 employees that are potentially exposed to that hazard, that's a seventy thousand dollar fine. Now they may they can they can weasel that down because of your reputation with OSHA and good faith efforts, um, and maybe if you're a small company, they 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 lower that. But so that is a factor. Okay. Well, why don't we go into our roundup? Okay, I think we're going to go Joe and then Dieter, and I'll I'll wrap it up. Joe? Okay, well, Paul, early on you had mentioned um, that there were going to be fewer of these, uh, I think it's the HHP program, and, and maybe I have my acronyms wrong, and hopefully the acronym police won't get me. Oh, <laughs> they got me. All right. Yeah, yeah. Uh, can not, you explain not... more about that for us? Well, you know, there, there's OSHA's had, has had for years now, uh, so-called strategic alliances, uh, they, uh, partnerships, and, and of course the, the big one is the Voluntary Protection Program. And um, so they're not doing away with them, uh, but they're not 
going to be uh, supporting them as, as, as much as they have in the past. They're not emphasizing them. You know, for example, uh, in the voluntary protection program in, in up till this year, why um, each area, OSHA area, had a target goal to bring in a certain number of companies into the voluntary protection program. And uh, they don't. They did away with the goals, for example. You know, and, if they, and they've reduced their staff and budgeting for those programs. So that's what's going on. They're not, they're not fewer of them. They're just not supporting this uh, at the same uh, level. And that's a program for employers who want to be in compliance but aren't sure if they are, and they can work with, uh, I, I know there's Indiana University and some others that have those types of programs. Is that the program you're, you're talking about? Voluntary Protection Program? Yeah. Yeah, no, no that's a different uh, program. Uh, that, that is a program that uh, OSHA has described the safety management system you must have in place, um, and you... Um, you know, you work to put it in place, and then you apply to OSHA, to the uh, the Voluntary Protection Program manager in your area. They um, they review your application, and and so if you if you uh, then then you're uh, audited, okay, not an inspection. You're audited against that program they require. Uh, if you meet their requirements, and and you also have an in injury rate that is uh, better than your SIC code for your industry. Um, they bring you into the program on what they call the star level. And uh, basically what that gets you is uh, a, a real nice working partnership with the area, with OSHA in your area, and, um, and the knowledge you will not be inspected, even if you're a targeted site on one of their program inspections. Uh, there's also some status that, that there's, uh, you know, you're one of a, a leak about, there's about 1,600 uh, facilities in the United States that are that are BPP star uh, so uh, and there's a, a very active uh, association called the voluntary protection program participants association uh, that is very active uh, energetic they have uh, regional conferences and um, a national conference and uh, it's very very much um, uh, emphasizes employee involvement and uh, so it's a very active program very strong and, and in spite of what OSHA is doing right now they're still are still going strong, and the regions are still getting applications. So uh, these are these are the uh, these companies that, as far as their safety performance and programs, are exceptional. What's the other program? I uh, maybe I, you'll know the other program I was talking about, where you can go to a, uh, a local college or something. Yeah, you know, have them uh, review your program. It was OSHA, OSHA consulting. Yeah, they're they're still going to have they still have those. That's um, it's an OSHA uh, compliance consulting. You can go to um, the uh, they have um, right at, at like IUP in Indiana University of Pennsylvania provides that service. I, I'm not aware of that they're doing away with that service. Okay, it's great. a free it's a free consulting service for small business. I, I think that's important to emphasize. A lot of our listeners are small business, and it's a free consulting service. They can go to some of these regional. Uh, partners with OSHA, I guess, and have them look at their programs. And exactly. Or, or, or a particular issue that they've got, um, and you do, you not, an OSHA person doesn't come out to look at your facility and is consulting. It's a person from the uh, uh, the organization that's providing the, the consulting service, like the university. All right. Thank you. And thanks for joining us today, if I don't get a chance to say so later. You're welcome. Uh, Dieter. Yeah, I think the, uh, Paul uh, mentioned two very interesting uh, uh, points. One is on the side of OSHA, and I remember this goes back 30 or so years ago. An OSHA inspector was in a facility and didn't write any citations that everything looked okay. The next day, the damn place uh, blew up and killed three people or something like that. Mm. But today, uh, and they said, hey, their defense was there was an OSHA inspector over there, and he didn't see anything wrong with the whole plant anywhere. Of course, we know he couldn't have inspected everything. Uh, now, the next thing, which is kind of in the same direction, and Paul is in that boat, and I am in that boat, I am hired, let's say, to measure noise in a refinery. And I, that is my job. That's what I said, hey, we want to have a noise survey. Now... I am, Paul is a professional, I'm a professional, and I just can see a lawyer come, and I say, hey, Dr. Weil, you were in that facility over there. I said, yeah. 
said, you did noise measurements, yes. But uh, while you were there, didn't you see that the crane cable was fried and that, that, that there was an imminent danger, right? Isn't that part of your job to take a look at that too? This is very, very difficult for me and for anybody who does consulting. So that, that is a, 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 a tough one uh, to handle. Right. And I don't, I mean, it's, it's, I, mean, I run into that just about, I mean, every time I go on a consulting job. Is it now my job to look around and I said, hey, man, look at this over there. You should take care of this. Even though you hired me for job A, and as, yeah, like I said, I have to do noise and there's a chemical uh, exposure or there's a dust generation or there is uh, somebody who doesn't uh, uh, use a tag out, a lockout tag out, something like that. Mm -hmm. So uh, that is a difficult one. And it's interesting that we talked about the fines, which is kind of, <laughs> kind of based on the number of employees. I think it is in Sweden when you get a violation on a car that is the highest speeding ticket ever, it was something like 10% of your gross income. <laughs> Where a speeding ticket was like $150,000. <laughs> Uh, you better don't speed. I think it was in Sweden. <laughs> uh, so the, the fine is based on your income, not how fast you were going. Yeah. And I mean, on one hand, you can justify it. On the other hand, man, I don't want to make a million bucks and get caught. <laughs> <laughs> the, uh, well, that's why consultants uh, all, all carry uh, professional liability insurance. Yeah. Expensive insurance. Uh, because... You know, you can go to a facility and and uh, say you know, everything is okay, and the next day uh, somebody gets seriously injured, and and you're going to be on the liability hook. Yep. Uh, yep. Yeah, Dieter, so. you mentioned noise. I'm just curious. I've been this got my attention here lately, but um, what is the typical noise level on a plane? Uh, you know, I can't. <laughs> I will be on, 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 on several planes in the next two weeks, and uh, I never really measured it, but um, there is a, a, a rule of thumb. If it's over 80, you have difficulties communicating with somebody who is three or four feet away from you. Okay. That, that, doesn't, that, that doesn't produce noise-induced hearing loss. And I think that is probably the level that we have in, the, in, in an airplane. Right. Because okay. you will have, if the air, even if it's at level at 35,000 feet, uh, you will have a problem communicating with somebody across the aisle from you, and you have to speak a little bit louder, you know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, to do that. So we are probably in that range, yes. I don't think you get noise-induced hearing loss, but it certainly is annoying, as Joe found out not too long ago. Yeah, I agree. Um, that's about right, as far as uh, I, I would say it's in the range of about 80 decibels, and um, uh, that's probably not, not, not a danger, just annoying. Yeah, oh, it's terribly annoying. Paul, are you aware uh, that Toys R Us in Brooklyn, New York, recently received uh, an OSHA violation? Uh, well, there's been, a, of course, a lot of violations, uh, a lot of fines been leveled. And, yes, I do know about Toys R Us. Can you tell us a little year. bit about that one? Toys R Us, which is an un unusual to see a toy store being inspected by OSHA. So it's my guess it was prompted by a complaint. Um, they received a $69,000 penalty. And that was for blocked fire exits. Yeah. And um, yep. they had a defective emergency door. And then the other kicker is that they failed to train their employees to use fire extinguishers. Okay. And, the, and that was the phrase, failure to train employees to use fire extinguishers. Now, the OSHA regulation for portable fire extinguishers is that if you have a per, people that are designated as emergency responders whom you expect to use a portable fire extinguisher, then you must do training uh, on those extinguishers annually, and uh, the, and that requirement training. When OSHA says training; they're talking about hands-on training, not a video. 
Um, now, the other employees in the facility, um, you know, you can say, listen, if you, if you feel comfortable, you know, uh, use the fire extinguisher. But then those people you must educate. And the educate means you can show them a video, um, do a PowerPoint presentation, that kind of thing, but not, hand, not necessarily hands-on. So uh, I'm curious as to what Toys R Us um, uh, expected of their employees regarding fire extinguishers. Um, but if they if they expect it as part of their job to use a fire extinguisher, then OSHA says you got to train them, and that's hands on. All right. Well, Paul. So, uh, okay. Yeah. Uh, is there anything that we failed to cover that you'd wish to add to your interview today? I don't think so. I uh, I think we've covered quite a bit of ground. Good. Um, uh, how can our listeners learn more about you uh, and your? Uh, Go ahead. Let me just say, you know, a summary that you know, if you want, you want to, if you worry about OSHA, the best thing you can do, you know, is to make sure your workplace is uh, physically safe. You know, that you know what the regulations are, you've trained your employees, uh, and uh, you get them involved in safety. Um, you know, and then you've got your safety procedures; they're they're documented. You know where they are. Um, they're still in, in good shape. They're current. Um, keep good records. You know. Keep the OSHA logs up to date. Know where they are. Uh, make sure your record, the person that keeps your records, knows what he's doing. Uh, and so, uh, and I'll keep you out of trouble. Okay. And then, as far as uh, getting hold of us, I work for. Uh, uh, I'm a contractor with Top Initiatives. Um, Michael Top is the principal, the owner of the company. If you just Google uh, T O P F, um, you'll come. The first, uh, the first hit is the Top Initiatives website, um, and. Uh, Top is uh, services is primarily a process that he he uh, changes um, uh, comes into your facility with his trainers. They change their intent is to change attitudes, beliefs, and values of the employees and their managers uh, about safety. And uh, so that's and it's, he's been at it for 25 years. It's very successful. And it, and and through me uh, at his facility with his uh, company, uh, I provide safety management and uh, compliance auditing and BPP facilitation. Fine. So. Uh, the website, just Google Top T O P F. Yeah, Tango Oscar Papa Foxtrot. Tango it, Oscar Peter Foxtrot, sure. And that's what dot com. It's oh. Top Initiatives. It's Papa, not okay. Top T O P F Initiatives dot com. Dot com. Okay. And so, you know, but if you just Google T T O P F, um, it'll it'll get you to his website. Perfect. All right, before we sign off, I'd like to thank our special guest today, Paul Snyder, my co-host, Radio Joe Hughes, environmental Ann Koalecki, the wingman Chris Boisel, our technical director, Dr. Dieter Weil, and most importantly, you, our growing group of loyal listeners. We're taking next Friday off as part of our Thanksgiving celebration. Please come back and join us Friday, December 4th at noon for the next broadcast of IAQ Radio. And I think to myself, what an unsafe world Yes, I think to myself What an unsafe has been another IAQ Radio production.